welcome once again to Fintech Insider Interviews. Today I have the pleasure of speaking with Gary Turner, co-founder and managing director at Xero, a global leader in online accounting software. Over to the interview. Gary Turner, welcome to Fintech Insider Interviews. Thanks for, thanks for joining us. Thank you for the invitation. You're the co-founder of Xero, which began in New Zealand in 2007. Uh, what's the story behind your company and, and why did you get involved? So uh, Rod Drury, really our CEO, was the principal kind of vision behind the inception of, of, of Zero as a business. Rod had been an entrepreneur, had, had done a couple of startups and was uh, consistently disappointed with his experience of using accounting software through all of those startups. So it's one of those classic, there has to be a better way moments and why don't we found a company to do that? And uh, I was at Microsoft at the time, so my background in software, been in, in, in kind of big, big uh, corporate uh, software businesses. I'd never done a startup before. And uh, when I got the call, uh, so Zero started off in New Zealand uh, in 2007. Really interestingly, did an IPO in the stock exchange before we had 100 customers when the company IPO'd. Wow. So Zero's always been what you think of as a big startup. Uh, literally IPO'd about a month before the global financial crisis. So one of those, if it had been a month later, we wouldn't be having this conversation situations. So Zero got going in New Zealand, um, got the first few hundred, first kind of couple of thousand customers on the platform down there. But New Zealand's a really small country. Population is about four or five million people, and, and the view was uh, this has to be a global business. And so, very cu- quickly moved into how do we then extend beyond New Zealand and, and look at other English speaking markets, so the US, UK, Australia. And so, when I got the call um, to say, look, we, we want to get going in the UK, um, and I think I'd heard a, a couple of um, news snippets about Zero doing their IPO um, before I got on board. And I, and the emails that we're looking at getting going in the UK, we're looking for somebody to kind of help us run that. And it was one of those, I didn't read the rest of the email moments where I said, holy crap, I absolutely need to be involved with that. That seems like it's a business that's really going to go somewhere. Because the UK at that point had not really seen much innovation in that space, pretty tired category. Um, a lot of kind of Microsoft Windows apps that had been around for like 20, 30 years. Um, and it was obvious to me um, that the cloud was just going to completely transform um, software of all kinds, but specifically um, businesses and specifically small businesses. And so um, I got on board um, and uh, I think our revenues in the UK, uh, we had about £50,000 in the first year. We, there was a couple of us um, trying to literally grab people off the street to get them to use the software. Um, but we always had a real belief that, um, and that was one of the reasons that we did the IPO, that this was going to be a huge category. And so the story of Zero is really interesting. Software from New Zealand, who's ever used software from New Zealand? Not, not many, but a lot of people know. And on the cloud, and we're, uh, we're now up to, we're, we employ 1,600 people now globally. Wow, 1,600? 1,600. We're in the US. We've got uh, two offices in the UK. So we're in London. Uh, we're in Milton Keynes. We're coming up with a couple of hundred people in the UK. Uh, we've got offices in New York, um, San Francisco, Denver, all over Australia, and of course in New Zealand where it all began. So we, we've, in 10 years, gone from that idea and thinking there might be something in this to, um, in, in the next few months, we'll pass by a, a million customers 
and this year we'll do getting on for about 150 million sterling revenue. So it's grown really quickly. That's a that's a chunky business at 150 yep. million in revenue. I mean, that's yep. uh, from from sort of 2007 to 150 million. That's that's some some impressive growth. So what are you doing to turn those kind of revenues and have a million customers? Like, who is the customer here, and, and what are they getting from zero? So our customers are what we think of as small businesses. So in any developed economy, the the most uh, uh, common size of business you're going to find is small businesses. And you think about, uh, you've got a great idea, you've got a great product, you want to take it to a market. Uh, the world's biggest market opportunity is all consumers, but consumers don't like paying for things. That's why we don't pay for Facebook. There's other monetization there. The second biggest community thereafter is small businesses. So there are millions, tens of millions of small businesses globally. In the UK, there are over 5 million small businesses. So they're the most popular size of business. They're everywhere you go. In the UK, over half of our GDP comes from small businesses. Two-thirds of all employment comes from small businesses. So small businesses profile really high in terms of um, availability as a market. What's also interesting about small businesses is that they're generally quite impoverished when it comes to systems, technology. The most popular accounting software is a spreadsheet because traditional desktop accounting software has been either too expensive or it's too big for what you require. And the old distribution methods of software kind of meant that it was really hard to service small businesses effectively. And the cloud changed all of that. It means that we can deliver a really great experience to small businesses that's real-time and enables them to use something that they like using. Our strapline as a business is beautiful accounting software, which is deliberately provocative because people, if you do a Google image search for accounting or accounting software, it's horrible. You get you get a really horrible ERP and really complicated user interfaces. And we saw an opportunity to, to kind of change that, that expectation and provide that huge market opportunity for the first time with something that A, they enjoy using and helps them be more successful as businesses. And so our customers are everything from like one-man band businesses that started yesterday and need to like raise an invoice and build somebody through to uh, your regular, like a coffee shop or a B2B business, B2B or B2C. And we have some really cool customers as well. So one of the really interesting things was there was a, in City AM, a couple of weeks ago, there was a kind of top 50 list of the most interesting technology startups in the UK. And we, we counted down the list and something like 32 of them were using Xero. Yeah. So we have some really cool customers that self-select a product like Xero because it kind of does what they want it to do. And we, um, and we have like Raspberry Pi Foundation use Zero. So we have some awesome household names That's really that have cool. adopted Zero as well. That's really cool. I think um, there's something about when you start a company in an English speaking country anyway, you default to wanting to use Zero as a small business because why would you use something more complicated and less beautiful? I think it's a really good spot to, to kind of be in where you are that default choice. It's, it's, it's quite a move from, from 2007 and beyond. Well, we've been very lucky in that we, we managed to come up with a recipe that, that people like using it and they like using it, like paying for it. And we focused again, I mean, so, so we're different from traditional software, not least in the sense that we build it uh, for use um, in the cloud or online and real time on your phone, on your browser, in a coffee shop. And that's kind of interesting for the first five minutes, but that's not really a novel concept these days. We think about, well, what does the experience need to be? Not just how cool is the software and how innovative is it, 
But what happens when it goes wrong? How do we respond to that? When, we're, when you're evaluating zero, what's that experience like? And so we think very much, and we're probably one of the first um, software companies in this category to think this way, of the customer experience has to be amazing across the, the entire piece. It's not just great enough to have a cool app or it's funky or onboarding's really cool. Everything has to be amazing. And so we've, uh, again, a big, big focus for us from the beginning was how do we build a great customer experience with the software at the center of it, but everything else has to be cool and align with that experience of using the software. And so we've been very lucky at, 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 um, at winning some fans. And I'm not sure for the default choice yet, but that would be a great position to be in. It's very cool. I'm going to change tack slightly a little bit here and ask you about open banking and PSD2. Uh, we've had a number of shows on FinTech Insider talking about open banking and you know what it means when you uh, have third-party companies get access to bank account transaction information. As a small business, you know, would that make things like accounting easier? Do you guys see yourselves having a big role to play in PSD2 and open banking and you know, really making information easier to use and reconcile for, for small business owners? So PSD2, PSD2 is kind of interesting to us because um, and, and, there are a couple of characteristics and aspects of it that will, will kind of make it easier for us to uh, transport um, banking, transaction data, bank statement information to, to straight into zero on behalf of a customer. And what's exciting about PSD2 is that it might make that easier to do. And the reason that we like that is that we have to do that at the moment. And what that looks like today is that we have to kind of go across the road to HSBC and Barclays and build these discrete technical engagements. And we have them all now, and we've spent the last seven, eight years in the UK building them. And so we already have all that data coming into zero. Um, and it's kind of like V1. And it works, and it's really cool, and it's secure, and everyone every enjoys using it. And the benefit that that brings to the small businesses that they log into zero in the morning on their phone or on their, or on their Mac or laptop in a coffee shop. And that previous day's banking information is already there, which at first, first kind of uh, glance looks like, well, we've just saved you like 10 or 15 minutes because you don't have to like manually go to log into Barclays online and download it and as a CSV or whatever and then manually upload it into zero. You could do that. And the automated part of that means, well, we've just saved you 10 or 15 minutes, but that's not the point. The point is you don't have to do anything. It happens automatically. So therefore, when you fire up zero and you look at your app and you run a profit and loss report, you know that all of your, your data is up to date. Mm -hmm. And so it's the peace of mind and, the, and the, the fact that the data is there and it's real time. So we've spent the last few years kind of building those discrete one-to-one -one connections with all the banks in the UK. And that's great. And our customers love that. PSD2 kind of is going to be like an overlay that will probably displace some of those existing kind of technical relationships that we have. But the real beauty of however it gets there, whether it's like hand cranked or whether it comes automatically from PSD2 services, is that it finally gives the small business a sense of knowing what the numbers are and where the numbers are. Many, many small businesses um, run for days, if not weeks, not actually reconciling their bank account. They don't, know, they, they don't know who's paid them, who's not paid them. They don't know what's my financial position because the job of gathering all of that up historically has just been a real, real tough challenge. And so, so we're, we're kind of, uh, so we're not as excited about PSD2 as perhaps other people are 
because we've already built all of that discreetly and if anything PSD2 just enables us to do that more efficiently that's a pretty interesting perspective um, the power of um, somebody who's already done that yep. I mean it took effort but has already done it and already provides benefit to customers so there may be more in future so taking a slightly different tack uh, Her Majesty's Revenue and Customs also known as the Taxman uh, plans to make tax digital with quarterly reporting would that bring challenges to businesses? And how are you thinking about how zero might uh, help in that? Or you know, uh, what does that mean for small businesses? So that whole um, that whole initiative um, is designed to, you, you'll have seen the adverts on TV and you'll probably see them in about a week from now saying like tax doesn't have to be taxing. Mm-hmm. And the January 31 deadline is coming along and make sure you get your tax return done because if you don't, you've got a hundred pound fine and, and everything else. And, and because that's because personal tax or self-assessment is just like it's like rooted in the 1960s in terms of a workflow, it's like literally filling in a form mm-hmm. of what you've what your, your your financial position is, and you have to you have to think that everything's going digital. Therefore, like government has to go digital, and there's a lot of work in GDS to kind of try to make government digital. And so, making tax digital is the name that HMRC have given to how do we get rid of like this annual self-assessment January rush deadline thing. And move it to a more real-time basis where it'll be a bit like doing a VAT return but for your personal tax. And you have to buy into the principle because do we think that in 2025 it's still appropriate for the UK's tax system to be based on paper? Probably not. Um, where, where it's controversial is that the government um, and HMRC would like to mandate that you have to use software and digital tools to do that. Now, you'd think that as a software company, it would be amazing for us because it means we could go and sell and, and lots and lots of software to people, but it's not going to be quite as simple as that because actually a lot of small businesses work with an, with an accountant. So there's 20,000 accounting practices in the UK and they're big stakeholders in that whole self-assessment uh, process. <clears throat> and so we see our job not really to, like, how do we go and sell lots and lots of software to small businesses because the government says you have to have it. And there's a big debate as to whether that's even viable in the timelines that the government have given. But we, we see our job as how can we use technology, if that's the way it's going, how can we use technology to kind of mitigate the burden that that brings? Um, and how can we, if you're on zero, if you're a, a company director and, and you're working with your accountant and all of a sudden you're going to have to be doing this kind of digital tax return, how can we make that just happen automatically without you worrying about it? Mm-hmm. And so that's our focus. And, and if that means that more people adopt software and go off spreadsheets, I think that has to be a good thing. Um, but I think some of, the, some of the, the concern that people are voicing about that is the timelines are really, really sharp. So like April 2018, which is like not even a year and a half away. And so there's a lot of work to be done and not a lot of time and um, but ultimately a good thing, but really, really kind of compressed time frame. Yeah, there's a behavior change and an education yeah. piece and making sure people feel yeah. comfortable doing it. And you know, change is always accelerating. So uh, on the flip side of, of change, talk about some trends you're seeing in fintech generally. What's exciting you in fintech? Um, so I think I'm probably one of the people that, I mean, I have, I, I have a kind of intellectual respect for blockchain mm-hmm. But like, show me the money. How is this actually going to be applied in a practical sense? And so I really love the idea. I love the thinking. Um, and I'd love to see um, maybe in 2017 a couple of people that will finally kind of, well, what is this actually? How, how does this help me? 
Mm. And this is if I'm a banker, financial institution, I'm sending money around, or if I'm an SMB or a business, how does it, how does this help me do my job more effectively? So I'd love to see some real practical examples of that emerging, and I think we will see that shortly. And the other big kind of soup du jour kind of buzzword of the moment is is like machine learning and AI, and it's like such there's so much hype around it that it's kind of like, oh, it's becoming quite tedious. But actually, if you wipe the, 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 that, that hype away, the, as, we, as we had a conversation on, on, the, um, on the podcast earlier, the, the idea of instrumenting your business digitally, um, if we're moving to this digital economy, every, we're all going to become digital businesses. You have to add some degree of instrumentation and automation around that. And we think that there's an opportunity, even at a really trivial level, simplistic level of saving small businesses time by applying judiciously automation, machine learning and AI to specific tasks like accounting to make it go away, make it happen automatically. Um, and, and so I think that's an area that we're investing heavily in. Um, what that will deliver in the next year, we don't know, but we're really excited about it. That's very cool. So uh, talk to me a little bit about um, you know, what's your favorite podcast, what are your favorite productivity hacks, and any advice you'd get for somebody who's a give for somebody who's just getting into fintech for the first time. Maybe they work at a bank, maybe they want to get into fintech, maybe they're considering being an entrepreneur. I'd be interested in your thoughts. Okay. Uh, so I love podcasts. I like every single day I'm listening to podcasts and I have a few. Most of them are tech flavored, I have to say. Uh, the talk show, John Gruber, huge Mac um, uh, pundit um, and writer on what's happening and not just in, in, in the world of Apple but, but generally so he has a podcast called uh, The Talk Show which is fantastic one of my favourite ones Accidental Tech Podcast uh, as another awesome weekly update and again it's just like it's a bunch of so, so three software engineers coming at like what's happening in the world of tech and what's my kind of software engineer view on that how's that, how's that going to help me a whole load of really cool. Uh, I've just started listening to one that's like decoding Westworld because, like, everybody's trying to work out what's going on in Westworld. And I love the fact that you can have some phenomenon like a TV show, and all of a sudden, like, fifteen podcasts appear, like dissecting it. And then the final one is really cool. It's a thing called No Agenda, which is not even tech, and it's like almost this kind of like it's more of a like conspiracy theory. Mm-hmm. What's happening in the world, and what's the subtext behind everything that's happening in the world of politics and business? So No Agenda is an awesome one that runs a couple of times a week. The the question that you asked around so um, what what productivity hacks? Um, I'm a huge fan of Google Inbox. I use we we're on the Google stack for productivity and Inbox allows you to like like schedule when you're going to pick up an email so like if I've got somebody's asked me for something and I'm out and about and I can't deal with it until I get back to the office I can defer it until I get back to the office and it uses the GPS on my phone to go oh I've walked into the office and it then re-delivers me the email I just love that kind of really smart little hacky things absolutely Uh, and and my biggest tip on email actually would be like just completely unsubscribe to everything that doesn't help you and, and we get a lot of, I get a lot of spam and I just market it as spam and it never comes back again. Mm-hmm. So be really brutal with email would be one of my biggest productivity tips. Brilliant. And uh, then, you know, advice for people getting into fintech, you know, uh, people that maybe want to be entrepreneurs, lessons learned? Uh, move really fast. 
um, I, I think fintech's in a really interesting uh, space and time right now where you know, so the, big, the big guys are beginning to recognize that maybe they should be doing something innovative uh, for the first time. And, and, and there will be some fresh thinking and fresh ideas to come out of so the likes of the established uh, banking and financial services community. But we have a saying at zero, it's not the big that eat the small, it's the fast that eat the slow. And, and this kind of stitches into the productivity thing. It's like focus on what it is you need to do and do it really, really quickly. Um, and don't debate it and don't analyze it like for three weeks and don't write a white paper on it and don't commission a survey. Try something because that's what everybody else is going to do. That's what Barclays is going to do. That's what HSBC is going to do. They're going to like, let's focus group this and come up with something. Uh, and the reality is, uh, if you're small, if you're a startup, you can move at light speed much quicker than anybody else can and use that advantage while you have it. So just do it tomorrow would be my focus. Fantastic step in some do, I like. Yeah. Uh, Gary, thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks once again for listening, everybody. If you like what you heard, be sure to subscribe to the podcast at Fintech Insiders. Review us on iTunes. We love those reviews. And befriend us on Facebook or Twitter. Until next time, that's all for now. Thank you.